1: Hello everyone and thank you so much for joining Watermark's podcast series Women of the C-Suite where we have the pleasure of hosting some of the most distinguished female executives anywhere about their journeys and the paths they took to get to the top. I'm Nicole Ward-Parr and I join you with my co-host the CEO of Watermark, Peggy Northrup. In this series we draw out meaningful insights and candid perspectives that will help you to make your mark. Hi, I'm Peggy Northrup, the CEO
0: of Watermark, and I'm excited to introduce Alexa King today. Alexa has more than 25 years of experience leading technology companies. She's currently serving as the Executive Vice President, Corporate and Legal Affairs at the cybersecurity company FireEye. She built FireEye's global legal, compliance, government affairs, and privacy teams from scratch and has helped lead the company through a successful IPO and acquisition. Most recently, she oversaw the investigation and disclosure of one of the largest cyber espionage campaigns in history. We all read about that in the news. Before joining FireEye, Alexa served as the vice president, general counsel, and corporate secretary at Aruba Networks, which she also took public, and prior to that, she spent five years at Siebel Systems. Alexa is also on the board of directors of Vocera Communications. Welcome, Alexa.
1: Alexa, thank you so much for joining us today. So appreciative of your time and your willingness to share your unique story and your journey with our Watermark Women of the C-Suite podcast listeners. So thank you again. And thanks for being here.
2: Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a privilege.
1: Great. So let's Let's jump in and 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 start that thirty thousand foot um, question, which is, you know, when when we start our lives, we often don't have a really clear sense of the direction that might take or what that career path might look like. Uh, and so, I'd love to hear a little bit about yours. What has your journey been like? You know, babe, you know, maybe what you thought it might look like and and the actuality of how that's ended up for you. I'd love to hear more about
2: that. Sure. Well, well, let me start by saying you've hit that you've hit it right on the nose. Um, I. I think so many of us think there is some path that we are supposed to take. And I can tell you for me, my path has been completely unpredictable. I never could have imagined uh, that I would be the executive of a cybersecurity company or sitting on a public company board uh, when I started my career path. Those things weren't even on my radar. I I literally did not even know that those types of opportunities existed. Um, You know, I was and am a Hungarian immigrant kid. My parents were refugees. And I grew up in New York City and no one in my community and no one in my family had ever even been to college. And to this day, I'm the only person in my family who has graduated from college. I'd say what I was shaped by most was my parents' experience of escaping their homeland with nothing, living in a refugee camp for a year. And then, you know, having to start on their own in the United States. And so as a result, I think I grew up the only child, you know, the quote unquote American dream. And I really believed, and to this day, I do still believe that in the United States, unlike in a country like communist Hungary in the sixties, we can change and improve from within. We can do it through the law. We don't have to escape our country because we have no hope of change. And so I always knew that I wanted to be an attorney and that my goal was gonna be to do civil rights or pro bono law or somehow affect social change through the law. And that's been part of my journey and remains part of my journey, but it's definitely not my day job. And I, I think over time my journey unfolded and I know right now I'm in the best and most right place for me, but I never could have predicted that. And the key was just every step of the way, really consciously making decisions and choices that
0: felt right in that moment for me. That's so fascinating, Alexa. Um, I know we've talked about this before, and I talk about this with a lot of women, that sense of almost the accidental career path, right, that there isn't just one way to go. And it's such a powerful thing for other women to hear, I think. Now, I want to ask you a little bit about how does cybersecurity fit into that journey? What is it about you know, your mission of change and and driving change from within that that speaks to you and then you have to talk about what this past couple of years has been like in the cybersecurity field i mean the colonial pipeline thing is going on now there, there was the there have been so many instances where it's in the headline so i'm so curious about your perspective okay. well on that's
2: that. a whole separate podcast peggy but um we'll get to that in a minute put a pin in that one um, so when it comes to cybersecurity and, and, you know, how it fits into my journey, you know, it's not ever anything that I dreamt I would be when I grow up. Again, you know, as with many things in my journey, it's not even something I knew about um, early on. My career path has really been about being the first lawyer in to disruptive technology companies, which in and of itself is kind of ironic since I'm not personally a technology type of person, Um, but what I really love is helping entrepreneurs take their vision and making it into something that can grow and expand and scale internationally and, and, you know, just become a successful company. And so after leaving private practice, I I have been at three such technology companies, and about nine years ago, um, I made the move to FireEye. And at the time, no one even knew what cybersecurity was. I mean, truly it it was not um, a word that was on very many people's uh, tip of their tongue. Um, But for me, what's been exciting about it is I have learned about this industry as the world has become more and more aware of it, more and more aware of of what it means um, to us all in our daily lives and to our our macro socio-political economic world. Um, And so I will say that for me, the mission, you know, we all use the word mission. It's a word that frequently gets utilized. I've used it before. For me in the last several years, that mission has truly become something I have felt in my heart and in my soul. Um, And it dovetails nicely into the second part of your question, Peggy, because, you know, when it comes to cybersecurity, what I will say is what people read in the headlines is the very small tip of a very large iceberg. And you know it's not an overstatement to say it impacts all of our lives every day. Um, the cyber threat actors are becoming more and more aggressive. You know, it is absolutely the the new front in worldwide espionage and and frankly warfare. It is the um, single most uh, lucrative form of crime activity in the world. And as we have seen recently, it absolutely can put our lives at risk. Um, you know, a few months ago, we saw ransomware hitting hospitals, mm-hmm. and we actually, you know, saw the first death from a hospital patient that was directly linked to a cyber attack, a ransomware attack, because the hospital systems were shut down as a result. Mm-hmm. And you know, when it starts impacting literally people's lives you just realize it's at a whole new level and that these cyber threat actors don't care. They are in it for the money. They are in it for the espionage. They are in it for the political gain. And Colonial Pipeline is just the most recent example of that.
0: What has that been like for you on the inside? I mean, emotionally, we read about, you know, we know what the companies are doing, but what's it like to live it every day? I mean, are you are you working 24-7 when something like that happens?
2: Uh, yes. <laughs> um <laughs> it is look i always say if we're going to work as hard as we all work it should be meaningful it should be challenging it should be interesting and it certainly is all of those things Mm -hmm. i won't lie it's also scary um you know i feel an enormous sense of responsibility again it's you know cybersecurity is not what i you know thought i would do when i grew up i didn't come into it as an expert but you certainly learn by watching, you know, your company's thousands of customers, you know, go through being victims. And last year, FireEye became a victim. And, and as a result of that, we actually discovered the Solar SolarWinds um, incident, which became the largest ever, you know, political cyber espionage campaign. Um, and we were able to identify that and disclose that. So it is an enormous responsibility, but it is also really, really gratifying to feel like, um, you know, the mission matters, you're doing something that matters, you know, I'm able to explain what I do to my seven-year-old twin daughters. Um, And, you know, I'll never forget one night uh, last winter when we were in the throes of the SolarWinds incident, um, my CEO and I were on the phone and my daughter grabbed the phone from me and, and said, you know, mommy's working really hard and it's the holidays and I could hear his response. He said, I know, and I'm really sorry, but I want you to be proud of your mama because she's helping to keep our world safe. And, you know, I don't know that I think that was a little bit of an overstatement. He was being very kind and gracious, but my daughter remembers that. And, you know, those are the things that keep you going.
1: Absolutely. Gosh. And, you know, when I think um, about so many of the, the examples and the stories that you've shared thus far, you know, I'd love to know what's been the biggest or perhaps most impactful pivot that you've made, either career-wise, personal life. What, what do you feel has been the biggest?
2: Well, there are a lot. I, 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 I'm a big fan of the pivot. I'm a big fan of embracing change. Again, that's probably due to the fact that my parents, you know, back in the day before the internet, before really even telephones, um, left everything behind. They were not educated, you know, and and came and started new and, you know, did what it took in this country, cleaning toilets and, you know, you you name it, to give me an opportunity. And I I think once you have that as your example. The changes that that we face in our lives don't seem quite as uh, momentous. Um, So let me start with that. But I, I think the most important thing to do every step of the way is ask yourself if this feels right. And look, that's easier said than done. If something doesn't feel right, it doesn't mean we can immediately change it. But I do think sometimes we have all those voices in our head that hold us back from doing what would really be right for us you know, it, 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 it's hard to give ourselves permission to, mm-hmm. to not listen to those voices and to just follow our our, our heart and our passion and, and our instincts. And so in general, I think all the times that we are able to actually do that and pivot, even if it's not the right move and you have to course correct, I'm a big fan of of trying it. and and learning something from it. And so generally speaking, all those pivots, I think, are are really commendable. I think for me, so I mentioned that I had originally started in the law thinking I would do civil rights work, thinking I would do pro bono work. And I have done that throughout my career um, in a variety of ways. At one point in my career, I was given the opportunity to go ahead and do that full time and to work for a civil rights law firm. And of course, you know, it was a, a huge pay cut. It was a move across the country. And I, I embrace it wholeheartedly. And about a year into it, I realized that the situation that I was in was not working. Um, the work I was doing was not the work I had thought I'd be doing. The situation itself was pretty toxic. And for me to give myself permission to leave what you know had been the dream job I had been working towards my whole journey was really hard and it was heartbreaking. But mm-hmm. ultimately I realized, For me, um, there was a different path. And that whether or not it was working um, at a at a civil rights law firm or at a technology company, um, first and foremost, I had to take care of myself and Mm -hmm. I had to feel safe and comfortable. And then I could do the work I wanted to do. and, And I have been able to do that throughout my career, but you know, really changing the way you think about that's gonna look. Is hard
1: yeah and with all of this being said and all the twists and the turns what do you think you're most proud of
2: i'm most proud of my children <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know i my husband and i tried for a long time and, and had a lot of disappointment along the way and you know we're definitely the oldest parents in the village at this point Um, my twin daughters were born the month before FireEyes IPO. So I, you know, I I, I had had three babies that year and, and, and not any maternity leave the way you traditionally think about it. But I think from the get-go I was so clear that my priority was those two children. And I think when you are just super clear about that, people don't question it. You know I got my job done and whether that was in pajamas at two in the morning um or you know in the office at two in the afternoon, it didn't matter to me. And because I was so clear about that, I think it didn't matter to anyone else either. And so my daughters are, you know, the number one thing in my life. And I am just amazed every day at how open hearted they are and curious they are and kind and smart and strong. And you think to yourself, you know, there's a point in every girl child's life where somehow the world starts to tell her she's not enough or mm-hmm. she should be focused on something other than being smart and strong and kind. And I, I dread that day, but I also hope that, you know, the conversations I'm already having with them, they're just finished second grade, will give them you know a different perspective and and some strength um, when those questions come up. So so far, so good and and I will say it's it's inspiring every day
0: that is so fantastic. Well, you are alexa, it, it you're you are really articulating a vision of leadership that resonates so strongly with what I hear from other women in the Watermark community, right? I mean, one of our our mission is not just to advance women, but to talk about what does it mean to be a leader right now? And you are talking about leading with your heart. Um, You're talking about doing your job in a a truly flexible way. Um, Talk a little bit more about that, because I think it's so important for us to articulate what do we want the next normal to look like after this pandemic? And do you feel as though your ideas have shifted during the pandemic? Have certain ideas been strengthened because of your experience during the pandemic?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, the word normal to me, just I, I don't, that doesn't, it's not in my vocabulary. Um, so whatever happens post pandemic, I think is just an, an evolution and deeply impacted by, you know, the the jarring shift we've all gone through. Um, you know, in many ways, I feel like a lot of my strengths or or certainly just, you know, my, my eccentricities um, came to the forefront during the pandemic. And so, for example, being able to work from home, having a team that is completely globally distributed, um, you know, we're actually closer now than we were before. Because I would say pre-pandemic, you know, I would fly everyone in once a year and it would be lovely but otherwise it would be email and telephone. And now, you know, I do Zoom and team meetings and and I'm a big proponent of turning on the video camera, even on bad hair days, just to make sure we all have a little bit of eye contact. And so, you know, I do think it has um, kind of played to some of the ways I've worked, certainly ever since my girls were born, which is, as you say, you know, real flexibility around when and where and how you do your work I've always felt like the most important thing is do your work and be excellent at it. And if you do those two things for me on my team, that's all I care about. Be proud, be excellent, be fast, be customer-oriented, and be courteous. And we can do that anytime from anywhere, and as long as we do that, the rest of it to me doesn't matter, and I feel like post-pandemic maybe um, leadership and, and and you know, corporations in particular are are realizing that you motivate people by treating them as grown-ups and as professionals and as people who have real lives that we're all trying to balance every single minute of the day. And I think the pandemic has forced some leaders who maybe didn't think about it that way to think about it that way. Now, I'll say the flip side is, I mean, I think it is very hard sometimes for me to shut off, you know? It, we're on 24 um, seven, but I think with some discipline and some good leadership. So I I literally put into my team's MBO components that 10% of their bonus would depend on them taking a week off and truly disconnecting. Oh, that is fabulous. Well, it's the only mm-hmm. way you're, you, you really allow people to give themselves permission. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my boss didn't do that for me, but I did it anyway, but. <laughs> Um, I I think those are the types of things that we as leaders are probably more cognizant of now post-pandemic is, look, everyone's got family obligations, health issues, home issues, a whole world we're trying to balance. And if what we're asking for is complete engagement and, and excellent work and high performance, then I think what we need to give back is an acknowledgement that we all have very full lives and we all should be treated with the respect that we can manage it ourselves.
1: Right. Well, pulling on that a little bit because y- y- clearly you are a strong female leader and you know there there had to have been you know as the for our listeners that are that are also, you know, climbing that leadership ladder there are lessons that come hard along the way, right? Things that um, that are challenging, things that we have to overcome. Um, still, bias, you know, and inherent uh, discrimination—that's you know—we have to deal with. I'd love to know what what some what were some of the really critical lessons uh, that came up for you along the way to get where you are, and how did you handle some of those tough situations?
2: Oh goodness, that's a whole podcast in itself, too. <laughs> um, you know, look, I as I'm sure with with many of the Watermark members, as I was coming up in my career, I was often the only woman in the room. Um, you know, as a practicing attorney in a law firm, you know, I would often step into the courtroom or to a deposition, and it would be, you know, all men and all white. Um, boardroom is the same thing. And, and so there's so much packed into being the only one in the first one, you know, and... Early on, I would be, I think, underestimated. You know, they would ask me to get coffee or they would ask me if I was the court reporter or I'm sure they would think about how I looked and, you know, all of those things. And my tool was to just take that and take strength from it and think to myself, I can't wait to outsmart you. I can't (laughs) wait to show you how wrong you are. Um, it's almost like a challenge, you know, and then as, as I progressed, you know, it would often be that there were two of us in the room, which you would think would be a relief, but my experience being one of two is that, you know, you're often looking at each other and spending way more mind share than any man in the room ever has to on, do I sit with her? Will mm-hmm. they think we're like BFFs if we don't sit together? Will they think it's a cat fight? I mean, all of these loaded terms and tropes that, again, you know, men just don't have to think about, you know, and that's setting aside, again, you know, being in front of a jury and knowing that they're thinking about what you're wearing and how you look, whereas, you know, I don't think my male counterparts had to spend one iota of time thinking about that. So a lot of the experiences, Nicole, kind of lead you to trying to get past all that. And just trying to focus on being the best you can be. But that is a very, very hard and long process. Um, You know, there have been throughout my career, particularly given that I am an attorney by trade, you know, I am often in the position of telling older men what to do. And they don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, if I am not authoritative, if I am not firm and professional, then there's no way I can succeed in my job because then I am shy and weak and a wallflower and all those other words. And so there's always trying to balance being strong enough with not being, you know, fill in the b word of your choice. Um, that that is a struggle and takes up a lot of energy that I don't think um, our male counterparts have to have to utilize. I mean, I've been called firecracker. I don't even know what that means. You know, how many times (laughs) have I been told I'm intimidating? And I'm thinking I'm five, three, you know, (laughs) I, 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 so, you know, all of those adjectives that all of us have heard, um, all lead to the lesson that, you know, at the end of the day, we just have to, again, not listen to that noise and just try to focus on being the best we can be. But I would be lying if I said that is easy or that to this day, I don't spend time thinking about it.
0: it's that narrow band of behavior that so many of us have you know we've felt the edges of it and you rub up against those edges it's like the tightrope it's like there's going to be a misstep it's like you're right it's like this psychological tax that we pay as women Mm. um, just to be in the world and let's hope that it's uh, going to be better for your daughters and better for mine um, Actually,
2: the well, way you said it, I love it. I, I want your ecological
0: talks. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And <laughs> it's hard, right? I mean, it's like you—we have to work hard to compartmentalize. Yeah. It, um, and it is. It is. It it takes up energy. It takes up energy. think of if that energy was unbound, what the world could be That's like. That's right.
2: And you know, I do think it's getting better now. You know, I sit on a public company board, and and there's three women. So, you know, you feel like you're starting to get critical mass. So you can just be free to focus on the job. So mm-hmm. I I think we're moving in the right direction, but it's, you know, there's still a lot to go.
0: A lot to go. Well, I want to ask. So we've talked about the things that are hard. Let's talk about the, the things that are super easy for you. Do you feel like you have a superpower, something that comes more easily to you than anything else, and that is always your your fallback quality?
2: Well, in addition to multitasking, which I will absolutely say I'm the queen of, um, and I think we all are and and all need to be, um, one thing I've been, I think, able to harness and and maybe turn into a superpower is my way of connecting with people, which is much more one-on-one and much more personal um, than maybe some other leaders you know, I used to think that was a weakness, actually, because I really don't enjoy the sort of traditional cocktail networking events. Um, I'm not great at small talk or chit chat. I'm pretty impatient with it. I'm terrible at poker. So, you know, you can read on my face how I'm feeling. Um, And I go to sleep really early. So, you know, by 8pm, I'm tired. (laughs) So those are my weaknesses. But um, I, I think what I'm able to do is, Connect with people one on one. And, you know, it's probably because I spent my life kind of straddling worlds. Um, you know, I grew up in a small Hungarian working class ethnic conclave in the middle of the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I went to a very exclusive private school on scholarship. Um, uh, I think because of that, I just, the way I do it is one on one interactions. And I've kept people in my orbit over decades. So, you know, I, I will have maybe just one person that I connected with at my first job, but that person has been a mentor for the last two decades. Um, and even with my team, I think one of the reasons they've been loyal to me, I have people on my team that have, you know, come across multiple com- companies with me is because of that, you know, because I think we're all people and I'm able to connect on a personal level, hopefully show respect and empathy, and hopefully I'm on my good days, inspire.
1: Speaking of inspiring, I was going to ask, what is inspiring you now? Are there podcasts that nourish you? Are there books, particular authors, you know, are there, you know, uh, what, what, when you need inspiration or, or when you feel like you're, you're, you get your cup filled, where does that come from?
2: Well, I'll be boring and say my daughters, but I will also say <laughs> Lately I've been watching The Handmaid's Tale. Oh. And you know, I read that book. Isn't that in college. inspiring? <laughs> well, so I read that book in college and I loved it. I was big on feminist theory at the time, um, still am. And I never wanted to watch Handmaid's Tale because I thought it would be brutal and devastating and, you know, not tell me anything I didn't already know, but just be super, super depressing. And it is all those things. But <laughs> I will say, having been watch, I've been watching it now for the past several months. Um, Holy cow, does it inspire that 20 year old activist Alexa King in me. Um, You know, I was big on, I worked at Planned Parenthood, I worked at ACLU, I was big on, you know, I did a lot of um, marches on Washington for reproductive rights. I was very active in both the AIDS and same gender marriage movements. Um, back in my 20s and you know as we grow older at least for me I I have my activism has really shifted and I haven't been as righteous and as angry and as activist which probably is a useful thing on your career path but now as the mother of small daughters um, and watching The Handmaid's Tale it has really inspired me to reclaim my activist voice um, in a tempered, you know, not 22-year-old way, but I've started doing some presentations at work, um, you know, just around some of these issues, and been really amazing to see the employee feedback. Um, and and so it's a weird thing to be inspired by, but I will say the combination of seven-year-old daughters and The Handmaid's Tale have really inspired me of late.
0: I love it. Well, and if you feel like marching, I'm up for a march. I don't know. Every day I read the news. I think, when is our next march, and where can we go, and who's going with me?
2: You know what we did um, after George Floyd, uh, George Floyd's murder? Um, I live in the East Bay, and the high school students here organized a car caravan because, of course, it was the height of the pandemic. And I took my daughters, and it was just amazing to introduce them you know and we talked a lot about it before and of course during and I've had to teach my daughters a lot of ugly things this year you know you have to explain to them that 100 years ago their father and I wouldn't have been allowed to get married and that you know 10 years ago their two you know we call them aunties but my two best friends wouldn't have been allowed to get married because two women Um, you have to explain to them what I can't breathe means and what Black Lives Matter means, what slavery was. I literally had to have that conversation with them. And your heart breaks when you realize how much ugliness there is in the world. And, you know, some of my friends have sort of sheltered their kids and, and kept them in a bubble. I will say that's mostly my white friends. And I think it's impossible to do if you aren't white. Um, but I have been inspired by their sense of justice and righteousness. And they just instinctively know what's right and what's wrong. And um, I think it's just ours not to blow and it's ours to encourage so that we raise the next generation of activists.
0: Fantastic. That's really great. That's really great.
2: I don't know. Should we cut all this? Is it a little too much?
1: No, no it's great. It's great. <laughs> I don't know. Peggy, did you want to ask your, your last question around gratefulness? Or... Yes,
0: yes, yes. I can do that. Well, we didn't really ask the question about um, what, if you have another Another mountain to climb. Let me start there. She said
1: she didn't have a good answer. We oh, don't
0: have, have a good one for that. I'm oh, fired, okay. Peggy. Uh, okay. Sorry.
1: Sorry. Yeah. I'm not I'm not reading that. That's okay. <laughs> and then the one on changes for good as a result of the pandemic. We already sort of spoke probably. to the pandemic one. So yeah, I okay. kind of jumped. I was right. just kind of so we'll pick up here. So
0: last question. I always love asking this question because people always have such wonderful, inspiring answers. But talk about gratitude and how gratitude operates in your life. What are you most grateful for?
2: It's so cliche, but everything. I mean, you know, I, my journey and and the things that my parents did to even just give me a start that was so different from theirs. um, I'm just grateful, you know, that when I, When my husband and I bought our house, my dad came to visit and he started crying. And he said, you know, I escaped my homeland with nothing and my daughter has a house in California. And, you know, you just, I teach my daughters every day, you know, to be grateful for the little things. You know, we are so lucky to be healthy and to have one another. And to this day, I feel we are lucky to be in this country, but I think it's our country and we need to make sure that we keep it that way. Um, so at the risk of being incredibly trite, you know, being healthy, being happy, I am um, grateful for it all.
0: That is so wonderful. Alexa, thank you. What a fantastic conversation. I love hearing about your incredible professional journey and your hopes for the future and your hopes for your daughters and and definitely we're we're the next march um just tell me where you're going i'm i'm
1: with you
2: all right sounds great i really appreciate the time and again it was an honor and a privilege to speak to you so thank you so much
1: thank you so much
0: thank you all so much for listening today Along with my co-host, Nicole Ward-Parr, I invite you to check out all of our upcoming programs at WeAreWatermark.org. With leadership training and inspirational fireside chats with awesome coaches, entrepreneurs, and women business leaders every single week, we're dedicated to helping you become the leader you were meant to be. We hope you'll consider becoming a member, lend your expertise, or come to one of our in-person conferences. We'll learn, we'll connect, and we'll have fun, I promise. Hope to see you soon. Thanks again.